across the galaxy. This is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime. This is the Free Zone with your host, Freeman. Hello and welcome to the Free Zone. I'll tell you this, folks, with all of the media, all the Hollywood, the news, and just propaganda and everything that's coming at us and has been coming at us for decades uh, has completely detached us from what it is to be human. I mean, we've literally forgotten what it means to be human. We believe all these media lies about what humans are and what we're doing, and we start to fulfill those dreams of the overlords as they... Uh, convince us that we are less than divine and our innovation our our creativity all of these things our love our care our generosity these are the things that are human and everything else is just inhuman and as we start to look at this uh, innovation and enlightenment bringing back the human bringing us back to ourselves uh Topher Topher Gardner is one that's been seeking this. He, he has a clearinghouse of information, of curiosities and experiments that he has uh, just given his attention to, to apply philosophy and innovation as the primary driver to bring about his uh, Topher HQ. Topher HQ is the website for our guest tonight. He's a former professional athlete, field goal kicker turned yogi. Uh, he traded worldly ambitions towards spiritual enlightenment. Uh, this brought him around to building domes and finding a way to uh, ground this <laughs> society that we are existing in, find a way to get back to being human. He works in polarity therapy and sculpts bodies and houses. Currently in Costa Rica, let's please welcome to the show Topher Gardner. Hey, Topher. Hey, Freeman. Great to be here. Good to have you. Always looking for new voices. And I want to thank Steve for him seeking out and trying to find uh, these these voices that can come back to us and, and represent what it really means to be human. Uh, so thanks, yeah. Steve. And thank you, Tover, for coming on and sharing yourself with our audience. So you, you've listened to my show for a long time, huh? Yeah, it's been at least a decade. I've... Wow. Uh, yeah, I was telling you earlier that down here we didn't have good internet forever. And um, so I was always going on to like the the free RSS feeds wherever I could find them and downloading downloading a little bit of sanity from the north. And your voice has a, it's a good radio voice. It's a good it sounds good. And since we could only really get audio media here, um, I always appreciated what you produced. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope I was a little bit of an inspiration for your podcast, uh, the bio charisma, right? Yes. Yes. I, uh, I had the bio charisma podcast down here in Costa in 2014 and 2015. And, uh, everybody that I had come in contact with then had known you or had been on your on your show and uh you've been like you're you're the progenitor to pretty much this podcast age <laughs> oh man that's awesome yeah i didn't even know the word podcast when i started podcasting <laughs> no, yes never even heard that word before uh but yes been around been doing this been trying to find our way back to humanity you know, this isn't a show about discussing politics or news or anything like that. It really just is uh, refinding our truth selves and all of this. So, I mean, what are you doing in in Costa Rica? How? I, what made you uh, bail out of Missouri and head there? Well, actually, I bailed into Missouri. I just moved to Missouri, uh, but uh. I, I I still have a business down here in Costa Rica. So. I moved to Costa Rica at the end of 06 and uh, I had, I was part of an ashram back then and the ashram was essentially based out of my house in, in Florida and we weren't really zoned to be able to accept all the people that were coming into the ashram and we had been traveling to India a bunch and I would say the majority of us in the ashram were kind of like not feeling that the states were so hot this was like you know in the thick of all the bush years 
And um, we all love Costa Rica. So we were like, hey, let's go ahead and pool our assets and uh, buy a big chunk of land down in Costa Rica, move down there and, and build our, our dream in a tropical paradise and have it be, you know, Costa Rica is very, it's world renowned uh, for tourism. So it's a good safe place for people to travel. So we thought that was a good business idea. And uh, we moved down here and very shortly, the, the whole group kind of disbanded. Everybody went their own way. And my then wife and I were kind of like, you know, left with our, our hat in hand and we're land rich, but cash poor. And <laughs> I didn't really know what to do in my life, you know, as a massage therapist and field goal kicker. I was like, oh, what am I going to do down here in the tropics? I didn't have any real knowledge of anything. <laughs> and um, I was I was staying. We were renting a place at a biodynamic farm. And that the biodynamic farm was actually owned by a contractor, and he had just a, a slew of books on natural building. And I was like, hey, natural building, that doesn't cost anything. I can do that. <laughs> and so I started doing drawings for uh, my home, and a couple people really liked it and paid for me to learn the methods. And I went ahead and learned the methods and started to apply them, and then more people wanted me to build for them, and it just kind of... It was it was it was dumb luck i have to say it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't something planned in fact i probably had a ton of resistance in my system overall to to doing building just because my dad was a contractor and uh it, that seemed like that was uh that that seemed from my young eyes perspective that seemed to be a hard life to have so i didn't i didn't naturally want to go into that but when I got into building, I got into it more for the art side of it, which is more of like the human side. I didn't get into like build track homes or anything like that. I wanted to build things that were honored the environment, you know, that the, the buildings fit the contours of the land. And I just had, I'm very lucky. I had incredible exposure to people that knew so much. I, I was taught how to divine properties how to check for ley lines i was around all these like real environmentalists like you know not pseudo e-environmentalists like i was around people that really cared and they taught me about biochar you know water water management i was just i i just had to say overall my exposure to such great people really allowed me to kind of forge my own unique way and um, at that time, too, I think uh, it was we are getting fair. a lot of noise off your mic. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's probably the fan because the fan is. I don't think so. It might be your breath. <laughs> I don't know uh, how if I'm speaking. That's better that... right there. OK, <laughs> right. so um, I had read the the four hour work week from Tim Ferriss. And the one thing I got from that book was he had a comment in there that it's much easier to start a new market than it was to enter a pre-existing market, sort of like what you did back in the day with your media. And um, I really heard that. So I was watching what was happening in my area and there, everybody and their brother's a contractor down in Costa Rica. And so I was like, I'm not going to build, you know, stick frame stuff. I'm going to build things that I'm interested in. And uh, it really worked out. I was uh, building with earth, earth bags, like super Adobe and then Cobb construction down here. They call that Bereke or Waddle and Dob as it's known in the North. And then um, building these round structures kind of taught me how to, to, to work with round roofs. And since most roofs in the world are square, I uh, developed this whole way of doing ferro cement to, to go ahead and cast really beautiful circular and spiral roofs on top of the, the round structures that I was building. And then I was just lucky enough to have a lot of people that were as artsy and weird as I was am i should say to like you know go ahead and and have confidence in me and have have me build them uh build them build them you know these art installations and then also it, within all of that i got into the the festival scene 
And I really vibed with your work because you had talked about the rainbow gatherings and I had been around a lot of people that had gone to rainbow gatherings and were very moved by them. And so um, your description of, of your experiences there fit what a lot of my close friends talked about. So even though I had never really gone to a rainbow gathering, I'd been around a lot of people that chose to live a life like that down here. It transforms and, you. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing too. I mean, I think overall, like one of the things that's missing in current life is the initiation of the mystery, you know, just like taking the nesty plunge, you know, you're, you're not really, for those of you out there that don't know what the nesty plunge is, there was a commercial when Freeman and I were growing up where you fall backwards into a pool of tea. <laughs> and that was like the nesty plunge. It's like, it's like having faith, you know? Well, I was going to yeah. say that about your story because, you know, you're 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 working towards being the Frank Lloyd Lloyd Wright of of uh, domes and yes. bringing you know <laughs> the environment into the equation. But you were truly human in your uh, <laughs> achievement of this. It wasn't a business plan. It wasn't like uh, you know all set up. What's truly human and what's rainbow is to go and just. Put yourself out there not knowing what it is that you're going to be get guided towards and then your true potential your raison d'etre you know your true reason for being comes out and it guides you along so that's really you know that's the true sense of what it means to be human and, and an adventurer uh it's not having this business plan and coming out and making it happen and making lots of money i mean where's the wealth in that right that's just ah, that's just well, <laughs> It, it's so funny that you bring that up because when I was getting out of, uh, out of playing football, I, um, I was around a lot of entrepreneurial athletes and it was kind of cool because all the athletes, the, all the young men I was around, they were all like, you know, smart, they were all athletic and they all had like a lot of gusto, you know, and they were getting things done. And I, and I was, I was very aware that that I would watch as the transition from being an athlete to the real world, there was a loss of purpose. So I had like this, this, I, I really wanted to know what my purpose was. And the only thing I knew was, is that I, I took the Hippocratic oath at a very young age is like first do no harm. And so I became a massage therapist because I noticed that all of us athletes, we were all injured. And we all had a, a very high pain state in our bodies. I always noticed like body work was one of these things where after I had body work session, I felt great. And I was just like, I was so revitalized. And I was like, oh, this is the only thing I know that I can do in this world is if I can give somebody this, then I'm doing something good. Like that's something that, that, that will translate. And one of my first clients was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire insurance. Um, he invented gap insurance and he, he was like, so cool because he was like, dude, you have it right. Like you can earn all the money in the world and it's not going to make you happy. And I had seen enough wealth, wealthy people being, I shouldn't call them wealthy. I'd seen enough rich people that were miserable to know that that's not that's not real. That's not, you know, going after the the golden ring isn't really where it's at. And I had this mentor at a very early age. I was like, no, no, no. The one thing that you can never get back is time. And that really, that really resonated with me at a young age. And so I kind of engineered my life to always have time, to always have time to be able to study, always have time to be able to create always have time to be able to interact with people face to face. And that's really, I think that's given me a great deal of wealth. Absolutely. I, I judge my wealth on the same thing. Uh, free time, free life, free of, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny because every time um, people go to rainbow, they don't want to leave. <laughs> right. As soon as they get out there and discover what it's like to have this human bonding and and to get back to the basics and how how little it takes to be happy and joyful 
that uh, they never want to leave. It happens every year. We're staying. <laughs> We're staying this year. I hear that every single year. Nobody wants to leave the woods. Uh, and and that type of body work that you do and, and the idea of, of being able to heal one another like this uh, has completely been destroyed by the sexualization, this ideology that's been placed on everybody. It's made it so like just weird for people to touch. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it, it's, it's one of these things, man, that like even teaching couples, cause I ended up, you know, when you're a massage therapist, for any given period of time, you end up becoming somewhat of a, of a therapist because there's such a trust that, that that's there whenever there a person's in such a vulnerable state. And then you end up becoming a couple th- couples therapist, <laughs> just because you start to understand the energetics of one person has everything to do with who, who they're surrounded by, and especially whoever they are sleeping next to at night. And, um, it's, it's amazing the, the amount of couples that I talk to that don't touch each other. Like they literally, the only time that they're touching is if there's, you know, you know, some sort of, um, sexual impulse. And I, I, I could never live like that. I'm, I'm like a, I'm a completely like, a, let's just say touch is my love language. You know, my wife and I were always snuggling. Like it's like snuggle fest 2023, you know? So it makes a huge difference in your soul without it. it your soul goes chaotic. It goes, it, it shakes it, it. You know, you need human contact. I, I believe so. I know I do. I, I know people have different love languages, but overall, what I've noticed is the people that prematurely age are the people that don't get touched. Right. And I noticed this even as a little kid, when my grandmother was dying, I, I remember how much she was always holding me, like how much she was always touching me. And I felt I could feel her sucking the energy out of me at a very young age, like I, I could feel the juice leaving my body. So I, w- I was aware of the energetics at a young age, even though I didn't know how to dis- describe what it was. And I can really see the balance too. Um, Cause I see all the time in Costa Rica, like women that, that move here from North America, they always move back to the States whenever they have grandchildren that are born. And it's part of that, that beautiful way that nature balances itself. Like the elders should be around the children and vice versa. Cause one is an endless fount of energy. And then the other is an endless, uh, receptor for the energy. Right. I mean, I've got an amazing tale that happened to me at rainbow where, uh, a young girl with her boyfriend came over and offered me a massage and, I'm not sure if I've told this or not, but it was so fascinating because I've seen what what human contact can do. And this girl came over. I laid down on the table and she just touched me. She didn't even apply pressure. She wasn't even massaging. And I felt electrical shocks. Uh, my mind read it as if the. Uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh all the bad stuff that was in in my muscles that was locked up in there uh, was suddenly just shooting out. Like, in, and it, it literally hurt. I mean, it felt like, you know, electric shocks, like she was applying electric shocks. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And her her boyfriend says, yeah, he does. She doesn't even know. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. So, you know, all she did was touch. And then um, that next morning I woke up and I felt so nauseous. I was just like every every bit of the lactic acid had been pushed out of my muscles and into my system. And now I was processing it all. And I just vomited up that morning. And not to be gross, but it was all blood. It was just vomit of blood. And I was, you know, I wasn't freaking out about it. I wasn't uh, shocked by it. I, I was a little disturbed, you know, a little bit like, whoa. But I had known enough to realize what had happened. And I knew that all that bad blood had just been pushed out of my my system by this girl's touch. And then not even massage, guys. And then, you know, I went and told her like, hey, you know, I vomited like a quart of blood this morning and I, I, it's awesome. I feel liberated. I feel all my joints just moved easy and all of these things. And uh, 
she freaked out, you know, she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Understand this is, this is amazing. You have an amazing ability that you're just not aware of. So these are a lot of the things that we are denied by this isolation that we have developed into civilization. Yeah. The, the, there are people that are truly gifted. I, I feel, I feel like I'm somewhat gifted in that sense, but I think it's more for me, a thing of exposure because within my family, my family, I grew up with my parents massaging each other. So it was always in my consciousness that this is something that's for relief. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a contractor and my dad had these big contractor hands and I'd watch how much relief she would get after a long day of being on her feet. I would watch how my dad working on her neck would like make her right. And I tell you what, my life is a mirror of that now. Cause with my wife handling the baby, I'll work on her neck for, you know, 20 minutes and like, she's right again, she can like function. And so for me, I think my gift was just exposure, but I've been around people that have the touch where because you can never like really touch, like you can never really feel your own energetic pattern. You know what I'm saying? So I, mm-hmm. I'll never experience what somebody else experiences from me when I'm working on them. Right. And I get excellent feedback and I've been able to have, uh, have a living with it for over 20 years. But I will never know what a massage for myself feels like, right? right? But I've been touched by people where I'm like, oh my goodness. Like even when the first time, I held my wife's hand. I knew I was like, Oh my goodness. Like her energetic pattern, her, the, the, just the signature of her body and her hands was so complimentary to my pattern that I was like, Oh, this is, this is a match. Like this is perfect. So she doesn't have to quote unquote massage me either. She can just put her hands on my neck and I feel great. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing that we have lost. It's a, it's a horrible thing that we have lost it and that humanity really needs to find our way back. We're lost in our heads right now. That's obvious. And we're, we're going to turn into gray aliens cause we're going to just have big heads and no bodies cause we don't use them anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, that's so funny that you bring that up. I remember as a kid when that whole thing was really being pushed in the eighties with the grays and stuff, and I was just like, that's us in the future. <laughs> Cause what they were, what they were trying to teach us was, you know, uh, we're becoming l- less chiral, you know, to be a human is to be chiral of the hands. And they were trying to impress upon us that we don't use our hands as much. Our bodies are going to get smaller and smaller. Our heads are going to increase as we use our brain. And I was like, oh, that's a gray alien. I remember thinking I thought I thought I was so uh, clever at the time when I said that in the 80s. But yeah, I think it's it's BS. I think the real the more I've been around people that do ecstatic dance, people that are in um, all the arts of like uh, I'm around like a lot of like, I guess you would call them like circus folk, like people who do silks. Um, I'm still around a lot of professional athletes even ex-athletes there's like we're meant to be embodied you know and uh, for many many years being exposed to the new age movement where people would really go off off the deep end was when they would become disembodied when they would forget to use and ground their body out but it's really nice being around um being in areas where you can activate and you can activate with other or you can activate with nature um yeah it it's it's something that i think it's truly essential to to the human experience absolutely rainbow i i've been i've been telling everybody that i i'm considering going this year and i i guess i i want to let everybody know that we have found out where the rainbow gathering is this year it's a little further than i had hoped but it's still possible and so uh if you want to grab a pen and paper real quick, or I will include the map in the show notes for you guys, but uh, Rainbow will be at the White Mountain, White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire. And the closest town to this is Northumberland. 
and the directions that you'll get will start from Northumberland. So if you want to start making your plans to head out and return to the body, then uh, White, Mas White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire is where to go. The official rainbow gathering begins July 1st till the 7th, and the main event is on the 4th of July, which is just something that has to be experienced. That 4th of July is amazing. But the idea of all these humans just coming together and getting primitive and finding, you know, so much out of life. But what really has been happening over the years, like I started, uh, I don't know, in the early 90s, I started going to Rainbow. And I mean, you had to be in the Rainbow life to find Rainbow, right? We didn't have a World Wide Web to give us directions and maps and things of that nature. You just didn't even know Rainbow existed, right? Until you did. Mm -hmm. And usually you just, uh, if you were living a nomadic or a rainbow life, or if a rainbow happened to come through your town, like it often did in, in Lawrence, Kansas, since it's the dead center of the U.S., it almost has to go through. You would never even know this existed, and trying to find it would be next to impossible. I mean, I've been so close to rainbow and not known where to go. <laughs> like 96 in Missouri, as a matter of fact, uh, the, the rainbow gathering was there in your home space. And... Uh, I mean, we drove around for hours till we ran out of gas because we could not find out where it was. And I kept seeing this uh, high school with a big old peace sign hanging out in front of it. And I kept telling my friends, well, pull in here. We'll go ask, you know, these mm -hmm. people obviously know. But my friends were so scared of people that they were like, no, we can't. And so they continued to drive in circles until we were just about out of gas and i was like well we're about to pass that high school again can we just go in <laughs> and finally they did but to get them to just uh go and communicate with another human being was like pulling teeth out of these people i mean mm. i like to bring people to rainbow that have never experienced anything like it and don't know and are like these type of people that just you know can't go walk up to strangers and talk to them and kind of force them into it. <laughs> but the the developments at Rainbow have, have grown so much that, you know, I mean, especially now that you know anyone can find out where it is and go. Um the 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 technology of mud and rocks has increased so much. And I was watching one of your interviews on the rocket engine, and this was one of the big developments out at Rainbow. And I I, I actually intend to build one in my backyard here very soon. Um, as we learned how to use minimum input, maximum output, you know, to bring it into the quantum age with mud and rocks, we were building these little tubes that would go up uh, underground and then straight up into a chimney. And you just fed little sticks into this thing and it shot rocket, you know, like fire. Uh, and it, it, it decreased the water boiling time by tenfold, if not more, it was insane. And so I've been watching as rainbow has had these mud and rock technological advancements out there, even building uh, refrigerators in the ground with copper wire or copper tubing and water. Uh, mm -hmm. So many amazing technologies that are just simple and yet uh, life-changing when you're out there in the woods. And these are the type of things that you explore on your show, right? Yeah, the, the highest technologies are the most simple technologies, and they're always with things that are readily accessible to you. So I got exposed to uh, Wynerski's work. He's the guy who runs permies.com. He uh, had created the first rocket, you know, he, he called them rocket Lorena stoves back in the seventies uh, because he and his, his uh, kin, they were going to Honduras, I believe one of these really poor central American countries and trying to save all these people that were cooking on the three stone fires and the three stone fires for those of you that out there that don't know what it is it's essentially like a tripod of rocks that you have you know some sort of wet wood that's burning so there's a lot of smoke and there's not really good airflow there's not really good convection to to heat whatever's on top of the three stones and he and his pals figured out that if you created a little convection current with um, some bent metal, uh, you could use the same wet fuel and get a smokeless burn, 
which greatly uh, helped out all these uh, mamacitas and padrinas that were cooking to not be exposed to so much smoke. And you got much hotter fire, which meant, you know, less smoke, but also much cleaner fire. And I saw this and I had been dabbling with cob construction, like I said, with the uh, Waddle and Dob, the Bereke building, because Bere- the Waddle and Dob goes really well with Super Adobe. And so I'd already been experimenting with all these natural fibers. And I was like, I have to build myself one of these things because no matter what, when you live in the rainforest, you, you never have dry tinder, <laughs> even in like the dry season, it's still like, you know, internal humidity of like 40%. And uh, so you always, like, I would always get a lot of smoke with these fires. And so um, I love the idea of the rocket stove because it essentially is you're using, it's a, it's a wood gasifier. So you're, you're creating a condition where the wood, these little wood splits or twigs, like people, you can use just branches, you know, things that are readily accessible. Um, you're running so much air over this, this biomass that when it ignites, uh, you're, you're using the gas from the wood gas from these twigs or from these wood splits and it mixes really well with the air. So it's a lot like an engine. It's a, a lot like the way all of our uh, car engines work with a spark, you know, cause mostly what our cars consume when we drive them is air. The, the, it, it's only used to ignite the air fuel mixture. That's what they always say. It's an air fuel mixture. It's not just fuel. So that's a beautiful thing about the rocket stove technology and the rocket mass heating technology is like oh my god why would you push all this heat like why would you get the heat and push it out the end of your your stack out out the top of your uh, exhaust and not use it why not like create the heat in a in a firebox and then have a convection convection current take it to where you want it to do work and uh, I've been enamored with that technology now for 15 years, and I've done it. I've I've done it with the the old fashioned way, just with clay and sand. I've used rice hulls. I've used uh, coconut husks. I've used everything in its brother as a as a way of um, uh, natural binders, and in a very cool way, working with all that to make a natural stove that had, you know, had some, I guess you'd say durability to it. It brought me into the whole field of geopolymers because you start to learn like, oh, if you mix a little bit of lime with a little bit of fly ash, with a little bit of calcium bentonite clay and a little bit of sand here. And then if you throw a little bit of this in there and Hey, if you had, you know, extra blood from a slaughter, you throw some of that in there and Oh my God, now I have a rock after it's exposed to heat. Like it, it really gets the uh, imagination rolling with the way things used to get, get done. Cause um, I think a lot of what we, what, what geologists are calling rock uh, were actually man-made things. And um, I ended up going to the Geopolymer Institute in 2014 to study under uh, Dr. Davidovitz because um, after years of making these rocket heaters, these rocket stoves out of clay, I wanted to have, I wanted to have the recipe, how to make them out of geopolymers and be able to have something that I could cast and uh, have perfectly insulated and uh, durable material. Um, so I could do these outdoors that they, they could be exposed to the elements and not, not ever wear down. So we're finding a way then that anyone could build a home, anyone could build a structure. And we're looking at these ancient architectures that had like 30 sided uh, stones that they were using and everybody's trying to figure out how the hell they managed to make 33 angles go together in a South American construction uh, back you know, a thousand years ago. And uh, what, what you're saying is that we're learning that these, these stones could very easily be geopolymers 
and yes. that uh, we've just lost touch with our ourselves in that area and and have kind of detached ourselves from our ancient structures and how how to build <laughs> yeah there's um so i've had a lot of friends that have traveled to south america i've never been down there but they've been up in the forbidden forbidden city in machu picchu and there's records down as you head down towards the coast like when you go from the forbidden city and you go down a mountain range down towards the um the, the ocean that's down there, that there are all these accounts from Spanish conquistadors about the, the different birds and the different, uh, I guess you would call it the, the, the fauna of the area that, that could, the flora and the fauna that could actually melt rock. Uh, Max Egan turned me on to that, I think in like 2010. So it was quite a while ago. But I actually had friends that had gone down there for for um, a lot of work with shamanism, and they have records in, with some of the some of these tribes going back twelve thousand years. So it's not it's not a big deal for them to talk about the giants that you know made Machu Picchu and all the rest of it. So essentially, the majority of what we were told in Western history about them finding quarries and then cutting these rocks and moving them for a lot of these megalithic structures, and even like these pyramids in South America and Central America, uh, I think is a completely falsification. I, I think it's a fabrication. Because when you see a multifaceted rock, what's easier to cast that rock after there's already rocks in place or to like try and cut it and place it perfectly. And what makes sense is I, I think this, I think our, our plane of existence makes sense. So the stories that we were told about moving these ultra heavy things from one place to another, like if you're in construction, the one thing you become imminently aware of, like from the get go is how heavy things are. Yeah. And when you start, when you're telling me like, oh, this was a rainforest and they had to move, you know, this 20 ton rock through the muddy rainforest. No, that's not, that's not what happened. Um, either the environment, the terrain was completely different and, or they just brought aggregate in and had a, had a technology of forming it in place. There are interesting, there's yeah. interesting depictions of these ancient Mayans with uh, these devices that seem to be spraying uh, a gas. It's hard mm -hmm. to tell really just from the depiction, but there are ancient depictions of them with devices spraying gas. Uh, I'll see if I can find that and put in the show notes or in the, the show art. But yeah, so there's these, uh, I mean, so we can even go back and look at the ancient depictions of them doing it, you know? Yes, yeah. And now we're starting to learn, like I... Uh... I got ridiculed years ago. I wrote this article in Costa Rica about the stone spheres that they were finding uh, that they found all throughout Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And the way they, the, the way they tried to describe it was like, there were all these indigenous, uh, you know, Mayans running around here and all the different tribes around here. Who Shaving only had, smears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're that, just smoothing spears. That's what we yeah, do. Yeah, we have flint and we're going to go ahead and make a perfect sphere. Well, any artist will tell you the hardest thing in the world to do is to draw a circle freehand. And even more difficult as somebody who sculpts is to is to mold a perfect sphere, especially if you don't have a lath that's turning it for you. Right. Absolutely. So to. So they're, they were describing this like really rudimentary, like it was such a stupid thesis because they were like, yeah, well, there's these little marks on the, on the sphere here and there. And that, that denotes that there was like, they're using these flints, you know, rocks, or they're using the same type of rock to shape the sphere. And I was like, this is utter BS because we've seen in plasma physics, like if you arc like if you have a sufficient enough high voltage in arc and and hit bauxite clay which is you know this whole area is bauxite clay with essentially a lightning bolt it will create a sphere and that sphere will cure into an igneous rock or a rock similar to igneous 
And so I was like, what makes more sense when the canopy went from, you know, went from the, uh, the Caribbean ocean all the way to the Pacific ocean, there were these magnificent lightning storms that would roll through lightning would strike and hit the ground and then immediately create a sphere because it's bauxite clay. And then the Indians that were running through the forest at the time would look at that and be like, oh my God, this is God's great creation. That makes much more sense to me than them all like, you know, finding an igneous boulder somewhere for some reason, and then like shaving it into a perfect sphere. Because what was really drawing my attention here is I lived in a valley where there were tons of artifacts and in the, in this valley, all these artifacts, they would mark them. They would put spirals on them and they would like draw on them. And like, so it wasn't like the, these people were against actually drawing or, or leaving their impression on, on what they were making. Right. So why would you have these spheres that wouldn't have a spiral on it or wouldn't have some sort of marking on it from, from the, the people that created it? And so it just made it all like flashed in my mind perfectly because I was doing a hike on my friend's farm and we got caught in a really bad storm. So we ducked behind uh, a waterfall. There was a cave right behind the waterfall. And I saw lightning strike like right in front of the waterfall and the sound reverberated. Cause like whenever you're close to where lightning hits this, you hear a crack. It's not the thunder. Like it's like a, it's like a, like if you've ever heard a transformer explode, it's like a really, really like, like sharp crack that's by you. And then the thunder rolls in a little bit after that. And so we were in this cave where that was muffled by the water of the waterfall, but it still kind of reverberated. And we walked out and I could see where the lightning hit in the stream of water. There was this perfect cylinder. And I noticed that there was these like cylinder, like these little cylinder markings. And when I say a cylinder, it was like a cylinder that was like drilled in to the rock and you, you could see it. it was like red hot. Well, I'd seen that all over the place at almost all the waterfalls I'd ever gone to and nobody could ever explain it. They always say, oh, that's an eddy current. You know, that was the water cutting out the rock. And I'm like, eddy currents don't make perfect cylinders. Like that's not, that's not true. Like eddy currents make a flow form. They make something where the water is flowing in and out. And this is way too perfect. This looks like this is a machine that drilled into the, into the rock. And so that's when I had the epiphany. I was like, oh, these storms would roll through. The lightning would strike highly ionized places like waterfalls. And they would also strike areas of the forest where there was bauxite clay and where that bauxite clay would congeal into these spheres. Um, needless to say, the geologists around here didn't <laughs> they didn't agree with me, but the more I learned about plasma physics, the more I feel like I was on the right path. We used to do that in the desert where we'd find a lightning strike and you could dig up a, a, a blossom, a bloom, a, you know, it looked like a flower. Right? Yes. Uh, where the sand had, had been completely charged into this you know, gem. Yeah, it's amazing. And so there's a, there's all this knowledge now because i got into making biochar like my my podcast is called bio charisma that's biochar isma but biochar it was a natural thing for making these rocket mass heaters to like i was like oh i'm making these rocket mass heaters i need to dry wood for my construction why don't i make a kiln to go ahead and dry my wood and then i found out about biochar and i was like oh i can actually turbocharge my rocket mass heaters and I have like, you know, a hundred videos on Instagram of doing this of like where I would use the, the biomass from my farm, I would cook it and that would create a very specific type of smoke that would cure bamboo and all the wood that I would use in my construction. And so I was learning all this. And then I was also like, okay, this whole thing, when you're actually creating a plasma, when plasmas hit wood. Uh, a plasma will actually create gems. 
And so all of this is like making so much sense with what's coming out now about these major, major veins of these, um, I guess you would call it mining operations. Like if you were to take a, a bird's eye view of their digging pattern, they're essentially a tree. It looks exactly like the root system of a tree. Right. And so it's like, it's straight out of Avatar, which I remember the first time I saw it in 2009, I had this visceral experience in my body of knowing that that was true. Like when home tree fell, like I, I had some genetic memory of that happening to me in my family line. Like it was so traumatic for me <laughs> and I, 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 my friends thought I was just crazy. Cause I was crying. Like I was a mess, but it was true. Like that, that is something like there were these magnificently huge trees. We've had plasma catastrophes. We've had these things in the past that converted all this biomass into the coal that we now use. Well, think about the, the petrified forest. Exactly. Exactly. Cause they tell us, okay, when I, when I went, I was in high school when I went to the petrified forest at first and they were like under pressure in, 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 in sedimentary, whatever. I'm like, we're above ground. Where's the pressure? Where, where's the sediment that's on top of this creating the petrification. And I'm like, how can you petrify something that's geo? How can you petrify something that's biological? Cause in construction, we always use that as a term. Like you'll say, okay, I have a geological material, which is like a rock or cement or something like that. And then I have a biological material, which is like wood, like it's something that's cellulitic, something that grows. They're very, very different. You have to use different means to cure them. You have to do different things with them and they serve different functions. So how the one thing that never made any sense to me was like, they were telling us that both they were telling us that something biological could essentially become something geological and they never ever explained it and i think i know why that they never explained it because if they were to explain it they would have to tell us about the 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 cataclysms that we've had right. and that's the one thing that they've they've stricken from history other than, you know, people talking about and religions about the great floods, but from the actual, I guess you would say Western history perspective, the one thing that we're never taught about are the cataclysms. Absolutely. I mean, from flash frozen mammoths and petrified forests, uh, these are massive earth changes that happen in instance. Yeah. And we have Greek we have the, the, the we have the stories of the the Greek gods and demigods that kind of tell us about it. You know, the whole story of Medusa is talking about petrification, right. and she has these big snakes of plasma coming out of her head. You know, you could say the snakes that make her hair are are snakes, but very in so much cave art around the world, they depicted the these things coming out of the heavens these these plasmas as snakes so in my mind's eye medusa is a big truth drop in a way of like if you see medusa you're turned to stone you're something that's biological that then becomes geological i think there's some real gravy in that and that was biblical as well with the story of sodom exactly exactly turning to a pillar of salt if you turn around and witness it Right. And I think these cataclysms, like, I think they, they're, they come, I, I don't know about the timing. I've heard different theories of the timing, but in my mind's eye, I think that this plane of existence makes sense. And so if I was to guess just when the overall consciousness of, of the people gets a little bit too out of whack, you know, I believe, you know, there's sort of like a, a cleansing that occurs because I watch this happen in Florida all the time. I grew up in South Florida and, you know, before a hurricane, like you could always feel like for a couple of years, like the tension building, 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 and people were getting like meaner and meaner, meaner to each other. Like people would be rude. Then a hurricane would come through and then everybody was nice again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was my, that was my rainbow gathering was that we always adored when hurricanes would come through is because it just kind of cleaned out the energy. Yeah, I, you know, that's I, true. I grew up in Florida too. 
Yeah, that's the, the producer Steve was telling me about that. And so, like, yeah, us Florida boys have to have to stick together. But like in South Florida, like I was, uh, I was 20 miles north of where, um, what was it? Hurricane Andrew hit in '91. And I got to tell you, like 90 and going into 91 was like really, really tense in South Florida. You had all the Haitians that were coming up from Haiti on their rafts and you had all the Jamaicans coming in on their rafts. And there was all this like supreme racial tension that was going on in South Florida. Uh, you had all the Cubans that were rejecting all the, the Haitians and the Jamaicans. And it was just tense. It was like super, super tense. After Andrew hit and like that nuclear bomb of Andrew, like just wiped out Hialeah, everybody got along. <laughs> Nobody was fighting. It was awesome. It was like, it, it was like when you see that level of devastation that quick, that quickly, um, it, it just united everybody. Like I, I, for six months, my friends and I were going down cause my dad was building a, a hospital down in Miami and it was a demilitar, it was a demilitarized zone. Essentially. It was like, like highways were shut down and everything. Everybody got along. Yep. Like there, nobody was fighting. It was just like, Hey, you need some water. Hey, you need some food. Hey, take these old clothes. Like it was so cool. And we had this whole influx of kids uh, that didn't have schools anymore coming up into Broward County where I lived. And man, it was great. Like I, I would say that Hurricane Andrew in the early 90s was a real tone setter for that area. It's unfortunate, but true that nothing brings humanity together like a good catastrophe. So <laughs> as yeah. we're witnessing our overlords in the new world order and deep state using all of the godlike technologies to create earthquakes and floods and fires everywhere, uh, little do they know that they are priming us to be far more human. Yeah. Yeah. That's the funniest thing about evil is evil only sees things through its un unconnected perspective. You know, it's like, it's literally like Dr. Evil having no clue how the world works is like, ah, you know, like twiddling its fingers. But in reality, like humans are just looking for an excuse to kick it and have a good time. And so it's like, oh my God, we have no electricity. Okay. I guess it's a barbecue. <laughs> like, time. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all want it so bad. We really do. No, uh, I don't know if anybody realizes how much they really want the end of the world, but we do. And I witnessed this by going to Rainbow and, and watching every year. Like I said, people are like, well, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. We're staying here. But the truth is that you can't sit there in the mud for that long. I've, I've pulled a three-week Rainbow. I think that's the longest I've ever stayed out there. Uh, three weeks of sitting in the mud. And, that's what know, we call commitment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it's so beautiful. You just don't want to leave. I, I like to get up early and leave late, you know, and uh, it's but, you know, it's it's impermanent. There's no way that you know you could live in a tent city like that. But when you have the technologies that you're developing and what you're pulling forward and bringing forth with the geopolymers and even just cement, and making these dome structures that are capable of surviving these uh, massive catastrophes. I mean, that's critical to all of this and, and the ability for people to just be able to, you know, put up a home and, and get themselves square uh, that or, or round, I should yes. say. <laughs> At least get themselves vaulted. Like yes. you're not gonna, if you're not going to do a dome, do, do an arch, do a vault. Right, right. Oh man, right, we'll get into that on the other side on cathedrals and and just the the fantastic uh, ability of architecture to change your mood, your 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 spirit, and your strive. But um, as we wrap up this first hour, I just wanted people to to know about your business a little bit more and and what you're doing with these dome structures. Yeah, I've started the company in in Missouri. Uh, I've teamed up with a local contracting company. I just started training them in in uh, Ferro Cement and Super Adobe. Those are the two main technologies I use with dome building. And we don't just build domes. Like the way I like to say is we use appropriate technologies. 
So what I mean by that is like if somebody lives in a forest and they have like, you know, an ungodly amount of wood that's cured, well, that's appropriate for them to use wood where they're at because, you know, it's, it's local. Um, appropriate technologies is like you kind of like look at what the land is telling you. If you're up on like a wind swept ridge, you're going to want something that's a little bit more flow for me, like a dome or a Vesica Pisces house or something like that. No, the, the big thing with all this, I try and get people to, to be alert to is what is the land telling you? What is the land informing you to do? Don't come in with a preconceived notion of what it is that you want. Actually look and see, and like if you can, like camp on your own land or live in a simpler structure on your own land and let the land kind of inform you of what, what is needed. And, you know, you can come up with a nice compromise if, if you listen. I, I think I think all of that ability is really innate to all of us. And if you're a land owner, anybody that's owned land will have will tell you they've had stories if they're out in nature, is like the land, the land is always signaling you. It sees you as a partner. And so you can kind of like, you know, tell tell the give the land your intent and it will reflect back to you what's appropriate. So I have my Coral Domes company in in uh, in Missouri. Then I also have my BioCrisma Holdings uh, company, which we make biochar and we make biochar kilns. And biochar is a carbon amendment. It's a pyrolyzed carbon amendment, which is different than charcoal because it it's ionized differently. And uh, that's wonderful for, for anything dealing with agriculture or dealing with EMF remediation. And we're even getting into, we're, we're going to be making toothpaste and face creams for people for actual uh, home care and skincare uh, uses. Because people have been using uh, pyrolyzed carbon forever as a detoxification element on, on their bodies. And so in Costa Rica, I still have my company Tico Dome, and uh, we're three years into a, a development where we've built every everything. We've built conventional homes, we've built domes, I've built uh, private homes that are in a in um, that are essentially cylindrical. You know, we do everything with ferro cement, natural local products down here. So I bounce between Missouri and Costa Rica maintaining those businesses and uh topher hq stands for topher's headquarters and that has all of my different businesses and uh, just as of late i've gotten into podcasting uh, following the giants like yourself uh where i i i really like to interview innovators about their cosmology i'm a big cosmology guy and it's just a way that in the future I can have a curriculum to give to my daughter and uh, hopefully any other children that are into it. And um, because it's. We're getting it's, the rumble on your mic again. Oh, <laughs> how's that? That's better. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I do that. I mainly do the podcast so I can learn. I Everybody I have on, I'm, I'm learning from. So, uh, I'm a voracious learner. <laughs> I've always tried to improve in that way. So it, this is the the best way I could talk to really great people. And uh, yeah, that seems to be all the different ways. And it, the, the main way people interface with me these days is through Instagram. I'm biocharisma on Instagram. And I, I have like, I forget how many posts I have there, but you can see progressions of my my art through there. Um, I usually do small video clips, so it's really easy to consume that way. But uh, everything from rocket mass heaters to dome homes to experimentation with water purification, all these different things is, is part, of, part of my uh, foray on, on Instagram. Fantastic. Yeah, I've always identified with uh, Ayn Rand's Fountainhead. And even yes. walked out of the School of Architecture at Kansas University for the same reasons as Howard Rourke. 
Uh, I've always been a fan of Frank Lloyd Wright and the idea of developing the architecture to fit with the the environment around it and how that all works out. But truthfully, it's all about moving away from these classical uh, ingrained ways that have been Im imposed upon us to start to just feel the energy of the area that we're in and live with it, within that and find all that. So I love the fact that you're you're following in those same footsteps and really altering how people see existence and how humanity can just be itself <laughs> come back yes. to human you know uh, absolutely wow. well i have a lot of great stuff to get into in the second hour i'm really excited there's a lot of things for us still to get into technologies and and uh different healing uh, modalities that have been skipped over things like Ormus brown gas and, mm -hmm. and then uh, just the philosophy of it all. So uh, we're going to pick that all up on the other side, guys. I want to thank you so much for supporting my efforts and keeping things going. Uh, be come over to freemantv.com and subscribe for a month, uh, subscribe for a week for free. Just try it out. If you don't like PayPal, just write me, freeman at freemantv.com, and I'll send you the Stripe link. I took it off the website and haven't put it back up because I had the bots all eating into it, and they were, it was a big problem. But uh, I can just send you the link through an email, no problem. So if you don't like PayPal and you want to subscribe, just write me, freeman at freemantv.com, and say you want to subscribe through Stripe. No problem. I'll send you the link. We'll get you all set up. It's easy. And... Um, We'll get that all going. Of course, we, we've given our love to Steve, so we always got to do that, though. But you can always share any uh, show ideas and uh, guests and everything. Producer Steve at FreemanTV.com. Help us out with all of that. And just to uh, reiterate and remind you, uh, Rainbow Gatherings National Annual Meeting uh, Gathering will be at the White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire, closest town being Northumberland. So if you're thinking about getting up there, you know, you got to start making those plans. It's getting close now. Oh, my God. Uh, I think me and my favorite replicant might be going. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you up to date for sure as uh, things get closer. So follow me at Freeman TV on Twitter. That's my last bastion of uh, social media there. And if you guys really want to get the deep, deep stuff from me, uh, Grab the flash drives off the shop page. It helps support me in the show, but you also get all this uh, data that I have yet to get back up on the website. As you know, I have been disjointed as everything's been canceled and banned all around me. And, you know, I've been throwing my videos up on Rockfin, but that's just to have a safe place to store them. That's not where I do my work. That's just all the old programs, everything that you'll actually, most of what you'll get on the flash drives are the same thing that I'm putting up on Rockfin. So you can go over and become a member of Rockfin and get all those. But eventually I'll get them back on Rumble. I'll get them out on Odyssey. I'll get them all the places that I can. Uh, but I just needed a spot for now to to store all my work and my videos anyway, the video work, which is a whole separate thing. You know, there's the video work, there's the radio work, there's the podcast work. So there's a lot of work that you can grab from me. But I highly recommend grabbing the flash drives uh, to get the really deep, deep knowledge and to really pull it out. So please uh, visit the shop page on freemantv.com and check it out. All the videos, all the DVDs are now sold out. I, I don't think I'll be producing those anymore, but at the same time, all those videos and more are on the flash drives. And you also get an animated version of weird stuff that I just made randomly and put a lot of work into. But it, uh, you know, I never sold that or anything, but you get that free with the flash drive as well. Your own uh, animated version of uh, the book, Weird Stuff. So I hope you all will come over and, and support the efforts and we will continue to keep you up to date on on what it become and what it means to be becoming human again and finding our true spirit in life and then realizing that we don't need a catastrophe to bring us all together, but we're going to get one, so get ready. All right, guys. Thank you, and thank you, Topher. We'll, we'll move this into the members section. Make sure to visit topherhq.com or follow him on Instagram at biocharisma. That is at biocharisma for all of those uh, informative little videos that he's been putting out there showing you all these uh you know back to earth tech so thank you all 
and we will see you next week. Thank you.